0: During the time I lived in Alabama, a state justice made a name for himself across the country by posting the Ten Commandments on the wall in his courtroom. The last year I lived in Alabama, he was named Chief Justice of the state of Alabama. And as soon as he took his hand off the Bible after being sworn in, he ordered the Ten Commandments be chiseled onto a a 25 ton granite monument, and moved into the Supreme Court building in Montgomery. That's 500 pounds per commandment, if you're counting. I'm not going to try to get into Judge Moore's heart, or the hearts of the many people in our nation who clamor for the commandments to be posted in public places, school buildings, courthouses, parks. I suspect they believe, as I do, that these commandments are a gift worth sharing. The commandments describe a a life that works, we might say, a gift from God, a mark of God's grace and love, a natural fulfillment of God's promises. God makes promises to Noah after the flood and marks those promises with the rainbow. God makes promises to old childless Abraham and Sarah and marks those promises with a child. And God makes a promise to Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness wandering children and marks it with this gift of the law. As Tom Long says, promise without law is like a tent without tent poles. It's amorphous. It it will not hold up. It looks one way to one person and another way to the next with no way to tell which way is right. The promise has a very particular shape to it. And being heirs of it does not mean that anything goes God knows that there are ways of life that work and ways of life that do not work. And the whole point of the promise is to give the people a way of life that works, a gift. But here's the thing, and this is particularly true, I think, for those of us who are Christian, who are uh, interpreting these commandments for our common life together. Almost from the beginning... We've been trying to figure out how the promise and the law fit together. You know how it often goes in our relationships. I will love you if. I will love you if. We don't set out to do it this way, but it seems like that's the way the world works. Conditionally. If you do what I want you to do, I will spend time with you. If you behave in appropriate ways, I will be proud of you. We put conditions on our love. So naturally we think that the commandments should come first. If you keep my commandments, I will keep my covenant with you. And these commandments, as they're given to us in the Old Testament, can certainly be read and understood that way. And that's the reason Judge Moore said that he wanted a larger-than-life slab in the state capitol with the commandments emblazoned on it. He believed that if the nation, the state of Alabama, did not return to God, return to the commandments, then God would punish us. He said that in multiple different ways. Some of you may remember several years ago there was an earthquake in Haiti. We had already sent a work team there prior to the earthquake to build a clean water system. And now the earthquake had taken a country that was already on the brink and delivered it a body blow. And we sent another team down there after the earthquake to help. One of our team members said, that they'd been in a conversation with a friend about the trip that they were about to take. And the friend said that they thought Haiti was being punished by God for practicing voodoo. You may remember another disaster we worked on all the way back in 2005, Hurricane Katrina. We sent work teams down there multiple times. And I lost track of the number of people who said with a knowing look and a nod that maybe God had finally had enough of the debauchery of New Orleans. You see how it works? Commandment first, then promise. But I wonder if that's not badly wrong. Old Testament and New Testament. Moses is a murderer, you know. Do you remember that about Moses? He's a murderer. Yet down the mountain he comes holding a tablet that says, Thou shalt not murder. And when Moses gets down the mountain, what does he find? Aaron and the people dancing a jig around a golden calf. They're worshiping that golden calf as a god. A big violation of rule number one. God was ready according to the story right then and there, to be done with this people. The whole people, to do away with them on the spot. Do you remember what Moses did at that point? He went back up the mountain. And he told God, you better remember your promise. Remember your promise. The promise you made to Abraham and Sarah. The promise you made to Isaac and Jacob the promise that preceded the law. He didn't have to say it, but he could have asked God to remember the rainbow. Remember what you said to Noah and his family? And we're told that God did remember. And God sent Moses back down the mountain with another set of tablets and a renewal of the promise. That's why in worship, when we were saying the law, which we will again, we don't read the law and then say the confession of sin. We confess our sins and then we read the law. It's an intentional order. We remember the baptismal promises of mercy and forgiveness and then we hear again that wondrous gift of God A pathway of living that truly is living. God announces a love and a mercy without conditions. There is no I will love you if. There's only deep, transformative, life-giving love from the very heart of God. That's what Christ taught us about these commandments. This is where it begins and ends for us in the grace of God. And if we do not get that, then we will never be able to get the commandments. They are not things that you must do or else. They are God's gracious path for abundant life. It's a life worth living, is it not? That remembers the gift of God and loves God with heart, soul, mind, and strength and does not bow and scrape before the idols of money or power or fame. It is a life worth living that recognizes the holy transcendence of God's name and is careful about using that name to endorse the ambitions of our egos. It's a life worth living that sees that we are so much more than the work we do That steps off the projects of this or that Pharaoh asking us to make more and more bricks. That recognizes that because God, God took Sabbath, we can as well. And it's a life worth living that honors parents. Even if that honoring means sometimes speaking truth and practicing forgiveness. It's a life worth living to value life in such a way that we would never take it. That values marriage as love's workshop. A place of deep mystery and hard, holy, faithful work. That respects what belongs to another. That fosters truth-telling. Especially when lies are the order of the day. That is content enough with what you have that you need not long for that which another has. That's a life worth living. These rules are not the condition of the promise. They're part of the promise. And when we fall short as we will, and when we stray from this gracious path as we do, God does not forsake us, but bears mercy for us and gently places us back on this gracious path. I suspect there are people already out there saying that this pandemic is God's punishment for this or that violation of God's law. I prefer, though, to think of these commandments not as a test we have failed, but rather as a pathway laid before us. We're going to need, in days to come, a way of being together that loves God and loves neighbor and structures a life both individually and communally worthy of the name. The commandments are a path that is a gift for the living of these days. Properly understood, these commandments are life itself. Suitable for a a two-and-a-half-ton slab, or better yet, our hearts. May it be so. Amen.